Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Just like that. Just like that. The final hour is here. Friday edition at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us across the OutKick network, six states across the southeast. Well, if you're listening to Illinois, you're probably offended by that. We're glad you're with us in Illinois as well. Yes. As we continue to expand the OutKick network, we're talking all things NFL and college football this hour to get you ready for kickoff tomorrow and Sunday. We'll preview all things Monday night football when we're back live at 2 o'clock Central, 3 o'clock Eastern on Monday afternoon. Headlines out there, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens have not come to an agreement on a contract extension, which means, based on Lamar telling reporters, he's he's done negotiating for the season. He represents himself. We had a big discussion earlier in the show. If you missed it, you can download the audio wherever you get your podcast. Just search out Outkick 360 uh, about what that means for the upcoming season for Baltimore if he's healthy. I always give that caveat because you have the old takes exposed out there who will say, listen to this guy say this back in yeah. August, September, October, and then an injury happens and everything goes haywire. Of course, injuries happen, and we saw it last year with Baltimore. If he stays healthy, I think there's money to be made on a flyer at plus 2,000 at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook for MVP. Paul's got some props for NFL Week 1, courtesy of DraftKings, to pay attention to. We all bet them each and every week. If you're new to the show, every week I'm going to give you the outright winners on the money line for the road dogs, sometimes home dogs across the NFL. Paul's got props you can play as well through the DraftKings app. I, I got to tell you, boys, I, I love these. Um, Good. I'm in love with these, and I think uh, – And for the record, we don't know what you're going with here. No, and DraftKings offers some some really good stuff here. PK's plus money props. Here we go. I'm going to count from uh, least profitable to most profitable. Um, And I can't guarantee you these are the same now. I looked at them Wednesday, but hopefully they're the same or similar. Jacoby Brissett. Maybe you moved the line. I'm going to play them line. They've heard of Paul's props at DraftKings, and you moved the line once you placed your bet. Jacoby Brissett against the Carolina Panthers. I don't think the Panthers are a a particularly terrific defense, but I, I think Jacoby Brissett certainly throws an interception in this game. Over a half an interception plus 110. I, I think that's free money. This one is also free money. Justin Jefferson against the Packers, anytime touchdown, plus 120. What are they doing there exactly? I think he's scoring a touchdown in that game, is he not? I would he, think so. He's in discussion for the best wide receiver in the NFL, and no one wants to admit that. He's right up there. I'm with you on that, Paul. Corderell Patterson, who I don't know if I pronounce his first name correctly because it's so ridiculous. Corderell. Thank you. Cordero Patterson over 10 and a half carries for the Falcons. That one might be a little bit tougher. That's a big number. No, that, I think the number's perfect on that. Plus 125. Based on last year's average. Plus 125. But he re signed based on how they use He's opposite of Debo Samuel. 
He re-signed in Atlanta because of how he was used in the backfield. Debo Samuel wanted nothing to do with the dual threat running back label. But Cordero Patterson with Arthur Smith was great based on what Atlanta has personnel-wise. Ten They're, and a half carries. They'll Plus run him into the ground. And this one I think is ridiculously easy. I, I don't care if he's a good kicker or he's not a good kicker. Uh, and I don't care what kind of success he had last year. That doesn't translate from one season to the next. You've got the Texans against the Colts. I don't think the Texans are getting into the end zone uh, particularly a lot. Kaimi Fairbairn over one and a half field goals. Is he going to hit two field goals? If he is, you're getting plus 155. Kaimi Fairbairn over one and a half field goals, plus 155. Do you have? I feel on, good about all four. Do you have him of them. on your fantasy team? I do not. That's a shocker. That's a random pull by you to not have him on your fantasy team. Well, I would, ta- I would take, that I would take an, an indoor kicker, generally speaking. I look for indoor kickers, but I, I, I had somebody better than him as an indoor kicker, a higher-scoring team. Oh, let's recap. But I so, think he's kicking two field goals. Brissett over half an interception, right? Yes. Plus 110. Correct. So Vegas is telling you everything is short and sweet. For the Cleveland offense, everything's nope, to the They're not going to make mistakes. Win by defense. They want to win this game 17-13. Uh, Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, just needs to score a touchdown. That's my favorite pick by you. Yeah. Cordero Patterson. Plus 125. Over 10 and a half. 120. Carries. By Patterson the way, is 125. Every week, Paul's going to give plus money props here. All plus money. Kymie Fairbairn, for the, uh, the, the kicker for the Houston Texans, over one and a half field goals. Two field goals, you win. That's my second favorite based on the matchup here. Maybe I overcommitted to all plus money, but I went through what was offered, and there was enough plus money stuff that I liked. I came up with 10. I cut it down to my favorite four. So if, if, if DraftKings is offering as many weekly, I don't think I'll have a problem coming up with all plus money. I reserve the right to change if there are not as many plus money options out there, but if it's similar to this week, I can do this weekly. So I... Uh, Let's, let's pretend for a moment DraftKings had odds on this. If Indianapolis goes on the road and loses their ninth consecutive opening weekend to the Houston Texans, uh, which would be the third of the nine. I still think it could take two field goals in that circumstance. Would Jim Ursay, is he, is he live tweeting from his plane with a video in the mirror? He did not do this against Oakland or Vegas, excuse me, when, when the Raiders went on the road in week 17 last year and won at Indy. He did it on the road trip back from Jacksonville when they were out of the playoffs. Ursay has been very vocal about the Colts and this being their year and the pressure on him. He's also an owner who extended his general manager and head coach through 2026 this offseason, got rid of Wentz, paid Matt Ryan. We know the story. Is Ursay trending Sunday evening if the Colts go on the road and lose to Houston in week one? No. Here's why. Uh, I don't want to speak poorly of the guy, but I, I think he probably still has a couple cocktails or whatever, and I think at the end of a tough day, he's out. Oh, that's in, your, that's in my favor then if, it's, if I'm going You yes. think he's, like, not conscious, you're saying, at that point? I, I, I think he's not active on his phone at that point. That's when I think yeah. he does Maybe get Maybe heading towards unconscious. He's like, well, there's only one thing left to do. Get this phone out and turn the video <laughs> on me at this Chad, point. How would you bet that? And the NFL uh, was just I, sucking up to him. Stacey Dales did a thing from his – Museum exhibit and everything. I think it'd be conscious of making anybody look bad. I yeah, I, I would say no. That's not going to happen. I would put the odds higher the next day 
of him saying something or doing something maybe so uh, if they were to lose that game. But I, I don't think it's gonna, it would be after the game. That, I think not if he night. says something, will it include a mention of Carson Wentz? This will be the first time in seven months, no. If Carson Wentz blows up uh, badly for Washington and they lose, will it include I, uh, a mention of Carson Wentz? Would it be I, like tampering if you talked about another team's quarterback? Technically, as yes. As the owner? Technically, Even yes. if you were saying good things or bad but things But if he's about in a headspace, I think he'll be in. Yeah. I joined, he wouldn't hesitate. I joined one of our uh, radio partners in Missouri last week, and they asked me a very interesting question. I said, I, I really don't know how to answer this. Is Jim Ursay considered to be a good NFL owner? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. I, think, I would say uh, no. So earlier I said Bashadi, absolutely yes, based on what he's willing to pay. Ursay pays players, but at the same time is very vocal Expects greatness. I, feel, I, I love that. I feel like Peyton Manning made him look like a good owner. But then he, but that's fair. But right, he, like it was more Peyton Manning's leadership than Ursay's. But then he tanked for a year that made them a good franchise. I think he's and too talkative, but I think he's a pretty good owner. I think he's a pretty good owner. I he's think he's been loyal. good for that city. He got a stadium built. I know Peyton got the stadium, but he yeah. he's the ownership behind it. It's a terrific building. The way I answered it was, I don't immediately think of, if, if we were listing great NFL No, owners, I wouldn't put him there. He's probably where we would put Ryan Tannehill among quarterbacks. Yeah. He's right in the middle he's of the league. 12 to 17. And that's not a knock. It's just I don't think of him immediately, but at the same time, I appreciate the – He's I not want, a power I want, broker. I don't think he's on a lot of committees. I and want stuff. him to be vocal. I want him to spout whenever he's upset with whatever that's going on. I would rather him act on it instead of having a powwow and. I, I know, really smoke feel though, like there's whatever he does in the NFL. Tell me if you disagree. There's great owners. There's really piss poor owners, yeah. and there's just everybody in the middle. Yes. I don't really differentiate between probably twenty of the owners in the NFL. They're all kind of the same. And I would put Ursay in that mix of all kind of the same, outside of the truly great and the truly bad. You want something interesting. Um, I was in the, the Cardinals, terrible name drop, but it, it's relevant here. So we would put Michael Bidwell among the worst, right? Historically, yes. The Bidwell Recently family has better. been cheap, whatever. Um, Bidwell came in the booth when I was with the Cardinals for the final preseason game here in Nashville for the entire halftime and third quarter. Very cool. He just—he was bragging about this 777 jet, um, basically a Southwest Airlines plane that was worth 300 million that he purchased. That's the Cardinals road trip plane, and they showed pictures of it. It's fantastic. Do you have a Lincoln beard in his father's honor? He did not. Very clean shaven, clean cut, well spoken, hmm. and he knew the team very well. He went against went against that trend. Very polite. Opposite. And uh, Dave McGinnis came in and said, "How dare you speak to that man?" Fair <laughs> enough. Yep. Um, but he said, he mentioned this, he goes, we are well aware, and we have talked about this internally and privately, that the last two teams to be in a stadium for the Super Bowl have hosted the game. That is wow. Tampa and L.A., yeah. and now it's Arizona. Fox, by the way, has a Super Bowl. I, I'm intrigued by that because the expectation, based on that comment, to me, if he's admitting that they've talked about it all offseason, they've they it's the same deal in Indy. They've extended their head coach and general manager, and now they've invested in quarterback, albeit a younger version. And I think it's playoff or pink slip for both franchises. AFC, NFC, same equivalent. I think it's a mirror image of each other. Despite a lot of differences and a lot of different storylines, I think both owners are expecting greatness. 
it's an interesting comparison between those two franchises. Um, I put them both in very different spots at right. quarterback. But, yes, kind of at a turning point right now. And we never hear from Bidwell. I was just very intrigued I would that say, he said that to his fan base. I would say that the, the Colts have more reason for expectations based on their division. And that Arizona, yes. because of their division, well, they, they can this season could be a write-off because of who they compete against head-to-head. So they, uh, The Colts can't. The, the Colts, he's talked directly about the Titans. There's no excuse for them not to yeah. be above the other two teams and and should go 4-0 against those two teams. We know about their plight against the Jaguars. But yeah. um, he has more reason to be pissed if they are not a playoff I, I, I think there's a ton of pressure on Kingsbury, despite the contract extension. Same for Frank Wright. I think it's a mirage, the, the years that they've tacked on. Personally. Maybe not GM, but the head coaches have a lot to prove. And uh, Arizona hosting Kansas City at home in, in week one. We're going to get to college football in, in a moment. Titans hosting the Giants by far. This is one of the popular picks. If you're in a league where uh, one of those shotgun leagues where you pick the you pick the team to win and you can't pick the same team again um, throughout the season. I think a lot of people are picking the Titans to win against the Giants, and rightfully so. Saquon Barkley is as healthy as he's been in two years. Highly motivated. He's told the media that. Uh, a media core in New York that has been very skeptical of him and, and has asked a ton of tough questions to him this offseason. If he comes in and goes off, the Giants win this game. He's the key. I think he's more important to this game than Derrick Henry, Paul. Saquon Barkley. In the pass game, he's on the field on third down. And in the run game, I think he gets the ball in first and second. I, I would think the Titans coming into this game imagine themselves and uh, teams imagine themselves in game planning, doing a lot of things that they don't wind up doing, uh, soundly tackling him. Um, and, look, they haven't played most of their starters to, to know that. Right. But their interior defensive line, keyed by Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry, are sound tacklers. Their uh, inside linebacker run stuffer, Zach Cunningham, should be a sound tackler. And guys like Amani Hooker, who just got a contract extension today that was announced, uh, what, three years, $33 million? Yep. Pretty, pretty nice right. price for him. Final year. Um, just finished Ke- year and, three. And Kevin Byard, a good tackler. So the guys I have concerns about, Christian Fulton got stiff-armed several times in the preseason. He did play some. Uh, I wonder about him. Roger McCreary, this will be his debut. He's the other starting cornerback. And Caleb Farley, while his trouble, and he'll be on the field outside with McCreary inside in the nickel, they're probably starting that because the Giants play a lot of three wide. Farley struggles with little receivers. I don't know if that translates into what he does against a a back like Farley. So uh, Chad and I were talking about Tennessee earlier, and I I mentioned to him uh, prior to the show, I'm, I'm very bullish on the Titans, but different than last year. Last year I picked them to go to the Super Bowl, and I just thought they were built health-wise, top to bottom, ready to go. I'm more skeptical now for two reasons. And one of them is the offensive line. The other one's Tannehill, and we'll get to that mo- that moment that he's going to have on Sunday in a second. But it starts with the offensive line, and it ties in. Azizo Jalari and Kayvon Thibodeau are both doubtful for Sunday's game. That's huge because they were limited in practice all week. They're the top two pass rushers. Ojalari, the best pass rusher from last year on this Giants defense with eight and a half sacks. He set the 
the franchise record for rookies for the franchise of the Giants. And he's paired with the top pick, Kayvon Thibodeau. Point being, the Titans' offensive line in week one is not good. And it wasn't good last year in week one for different reasons. But this should line up in Tannehill's favor against the Giants' defense and against Week Martindale, who is in New York by way of Baltimore. These two guys being doubtful is, yeah. is a huge bonus for the Titans yes. in this offensive line. Because it's, it's a weakness they could have attacked. Yes. Aaron Brewer, could. new left guard, undersized. Nicholas Petit-Frere, uh, third-round pick from Ohio State at, at right tackle. Obviously going to need some help. But the Giants are now down to Jihan Ward, a power rusher who's more of a run guy. Ximis O'Shane, I don't know. <laughs> X-I-M-I-N-E-S. Let me see it. Ximis O'Shane. A rusher who's had marginal success. He did a little bit. I think he had four and a half sacks in 2019. Nothing since. Sounds like a child just hit a keyboard over and, and over with letters. And Quincy Roche is on their practice squad. He's rushed okay. He's got average speed. Those three guys are dream for the Titans offensive line compared we, to the two guys who are doubtful. If we learn how to pronounce O'Shane's first name on that, Sunday. That's bad news. Titans win. Or, no, me, if the Giants, we, yeah, the Giants, yeah, the Giants win, win, yeah. So yeah, the, the other thing is this, Paul. I, I, my other concern for the Titans is the wide receivers. They've got a variety of wide receivers. They're not a strength, but they, they're all different sizes and everything. Caleb Farley against one of these guys, if they get a small guy on him, is a little it's worried o, for o, me. O'Shane is his first name, Paul. Yeah, O'Shane, oh, okay. O'Shane Ziminus. Ziminus. That's what they say. He led um, Old uh, Dominion I, in sacks in two, 2019. I'm going to lay that at the feet. Listen, it's my fault, but our, our lads has, uh, has it backwards. Fair enough. Um, let's get to Tannehill briefly. It, it's a storyline that could be here with us on Monday. No one nationally is really picking the Titans to win the division. In fact, I would say Most a good people portion have out of the playoffs. Yeah, they're the one of the, of the drops, like beneath nine wins, which I think is the threshold to even be considered for postseason uh, postseason play in the AFC. So the offseason storyline with Tannehill stems from his performance in the playoffs against Cincinnati. Three picks started on the first play of the game. A scripted play that was either Tannehill's fault or um, Shane Bowen or whoever you want to blame. They looked horrible. And the offseason storyline with him has been he's more locked in. He's more focused. He is driven to prove the naysayers wrong which is a, a different mindset and structure based on the confidence I think everyone had from him coming off of 2020 where the offense set franchise records going into 2021, which has brought about these storylines. But the fact that the fact that we're still talking about it in September to me is a caution flag. It's not a red flag, but we're under yellow because – I almost feel like they're talking it into existence more than they are seeing it. I don't think Tannehill's looked any different than he has any preseason as far as efficiency and what what he's done. He hasn't played in the preseason games, and on practice he's been the best quarterback since he got here with Mariota. I, 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 I don't think we've seen anything different from Tannehill last year preseason to this year preseason, although I think the spin is, oh, he's more locked in and focused and he's driven and he's pissed off. It has. And a couple of these national people, most of them are smart enough to come in and say, I got a snapshot. Here's what I saw from my snapshot. A couple of them who don't emphasize that make it sound like they've been here 
for all of camp. So maybe yeah. on his, their snapshot day they saw some. But listen, the reason he's been maybe a little bit more animated, a little bit more communicative, isn't because he blew the Cincinnati game. It's because Robert Woods is new. Traylon Burks is new. Kyle Phillips is new. Austin Hooper is new. Chica Conquo is new. That, that's five primary weapons who are new. So he's had to be a little bit more, uh, you know, hands-on and talkative and diminutive with them. It's yeah. as simple as that for me. Here's the one thing I don't get. And listen, Hut and I acknowledge we know this team the best and we see them in person. And, and Chad certainly knows this team the best. If, if you're taking your impression of him in Cincinnati and casting that onto the next regular season, well, why don't you take last regular season where all of his warts or whatever, he won 12, 12 games, led them to 12 wins. Winning isn't a quarterback stat, but he led them to 12 wins. Why don't you cast that onto the regular season at yeah. all? And say like we're saying, which I think is a reasonable take, we expect him generally to do pretty well in the regular season. And I think he's we've a good regular season quarterback. All along. He's 31 take the and 14. Titans season, fast forward it to the second week of January, and begin your Ryan Tannehill judgment then. Odds are yeah. he's pretty good, good enough in this division to get this team back to the playoffs. I don't know if they're at home. I, I guarantee you they don't have a bye. But I think the Ryan Tannehill judgment comes down to. The playoff game, and if he loses a fourth one in a row, it's a disaster. Maybe he wins one and loses the second. I don't think he can win four in a row, which is well, what they need uh, to win. A it's season. a really good point, Paul, and I think too many people jump to, oh, he was bad in the last game we saw him. So he's bad. So now he's just bad. And I think people that follow this team and follow Tannehill said, boy, they're going to get back in the playoffs again next year, and he's going to blow it again, right? That's well, what you want to see is – He's fine in the regular season. He's got to take the playoff step. Now, I will couple that with any doubt you have about the Titans and Ryan Tannehill this year with the fact that their offensive line isn't very good. And that, yeah. could, that could be a factor and for Ryan Tannehill. And the receivers aren't either. And that was yes. part of his problem last year when they were healthy. The offensive line was awful got against sacked, the Cardinals. What, 45 times. But against the Cardinals, that's where it started when the entire roster was healthy. And, and he was beaten up in that game. Turnovers by getting hit. I mean, it ended the same way it – it started, really, last year with Henry playing and Henry playing and Tannehill under duress. My point, though, is I don't think the the vast majority of people would say, oh, we'll judge Ryan Tannehill in the playoffs. They're a wild card team at worst. But there is a – I keep hearing a narrative over the last month and a half that he's different in the preseason. I have not witnessed that. Paul's been at every practice. I've been to 75% of them. I think he looks the same. And I don't know why we're trying to – we as a media are trying to tell the fan base who hasn't been to practice or seen Tannehill play in the preseason games that there is something different about the guy when I don't think there is. He's come in motivated to, to but he's all, fine. all like, of his training well, camps. I'm, I'm not saying that as a bad thing, but the fact that they're speaking that is weird. Yeah, it's the odd. difference well, is that he's got more new people. I mean, how much of that is PR spend to say? Well, why, why do Titans you fans are angry, so you should know that your quarterback is angry and it's a different guy this year after that, that playoff failure. I mean, he's different in that he talked about the wound and he was candid about the therapy and that makes him more three-dimensional. Yeah, I mean, that makes him more three-dimensional, but that was OTA storyline. You know, and I, I, we didn't talk. Tannehill said, you know, I put it in the past, but I'm driven and fired up. Kevin Byard said it the best. I asked Kevin Byard this week, you know, when's the last time you talked about Cincinnati? or thought about Cincinnati. He said, I'm thinking about it now because you're asking me. 
I think about it when people ask me about it. Right. I see people out, they ask me about it, I think about it. Other than that, no. And I think that's probably the mindset of the team. Yep. And that should be the mindset of the team. You don't want them thinking about their playoff loss in Cincinnati at kickoff of the well, Giants game. But let's be fair to this discussion. Part of what the other players are thinking about is Tannehill's performance. That's yeah. part of the game. But I think they're probably thinking like we are, and too. They'll got, be thinking about it that week in January, that prep week. They're going to be looking a, at him thinking, can he do this? They've been on the doorstep, and to be fair to the national media, they've been right. They have not been able to kick it down. And it's not because of Rabel. It's not because of the defense that has improved or the offensive line shuffle or Derrick Henry or whatever. But you have to win in different ways. And, and if, they can't. if he fought, I think there's a little bit of watch out. Because I think it's a boom or bust on Sunday with Tannehill. There's a good chance they come out and rip the Giants to shreds, as they should. And Derrick Henry will be the key to it. But there, there's more eyeballs on Tannehill than I think we've talked about in week one. Here, here's there, the, everyone's watching Daniel Jones. Yeah. We should be watching 17 on the opposite sideline, too. Yeah. But I think these guys believe in, in Ryan Tannehill. And I think um, – in the yeah, regular season, and, yes. And and this idea that's been cast nationally that's yeah. completely wrong is that there's an alternative to him here. There is not an alternative no. to him here. But I will say, nationally, we're, we're, we're hitting him nationally. Nationally, last year, during those two weeks, waiting on the number one seed to take the field, nobody believed in the Titans. National reporters were picking against them, saying that the, the Bengals might well beat them or they sure as hell weren't going to the Super Bowl. And the analytics people said, this is a false number one seed. And I wrote about why that was. All of them were right. All of them were right. I mean, they earned the number one seed. They were the number one seed. You can't argue with that. But they were a hollow number one seed. They yep. proved it. They sacked the quarterback nine times and they couldn't win. Hit us up with your thoughts on Twitter at Outkick360. Coming up. Saturday's big games. We're going to preview everything from Alabama, Texas to Baylor, BYU. That is all straight ahead. We're going to get you ready for your college slate. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Checking the, the, the latest injury reports during the break for your fantasy football teams or your favorite NFL teams. We mentioned earlier Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau both doubtful. Ojolari, the top pass rusher, young pass rusher from uh, the Giants defense a year ago, paired with one of their top picks in the first round this year, both doubtful. That means they could play, but that, that's supposed to mean a 25% chance of availability. And in all likelihood, one, if not both, won't even travel tomorrow to Nashville. That, that will get out. Uh, Drake London, rookie wide receiver, questionable in Atlanta with a knee issue. So 50% shot at that. Uh, for the Steelers, Deontay Johnson, as as Chad mentioned earlier, he will play as a shoulder issue, but he's, he's going to play Sunday in Cincinnati. And for the Packers, an interesting storyline, Alan Lazard, who by all accounts is going to be their number one guy. He was stepped on in practice. That's all we know from Monday's practice. 
off on Tuesday, first injury report Wednesday, and he has not practiced all week. Unfortunately. He's doubtful. He's doubtful as the Packers travel to Minnesota in a division matchup in week one. It's another thing stacking up against the, the Packers, who are a popular to pick against this weekend, including uh, yours. I drafted Lazard, by the way. Yeah. I know half is our audience starter? doesn't count, uh, doesn't care, and the other half uh, is probably playing against him. I, tr- I drafted Deontay Johnson, so I was <laughs> pleased that he's available this weekend. Alabama and Texas kicks off our coverage tomorrow. It's the big noon kickoff on Fox, 11 a.m. As Alabama visits Texas, it's the first time since 1922 that these programs have met in the regular season. And got the, I, I'm all in on Alabama on this. It started as a 16-point spread, I believe, to begin the week on DraftKings. Quickly rose to 21. It may be more than that now. Who's in on Texas that's not a Texas song? Well, but... I'm in so, on Texas to score some points in this game. I think they're going to do some Ewers things and, offensively. Let, let me say Robinson this. is maybe the best running back in, in the I, country. I told that myself. doesn't play for Ohio State. Paul, we're driving back to Houston from College Station a year ago. And I told myself in the Uber, I was like, never doubt an SEC opponent that is highly ranked or has high expectations based on where they are at a certain point of the season. Texas and Sarkeesian have been downplaying this game. But. I went into the pregame last year against Texas A&M thinking Alabama's going to double the spread. It's a, I, it's I a blowout, com- yeah. And we went to overtime, and it was the, the college football game of the year. Yep. I, this, to me, is more about Alabama than Texas. And in week one, we saw the Alabama that we're used to seeing. Last year, we did not. And that's the only way Alabama loses. I'm just saying, this, this game gives me the same type of vibe based on the environment that will be taking place. The only difference is it's not under the lights, and the crowd's not going to be nearly as charged up because there's a morning kickoff and you have mimosas instead of vodka. And because their coach said it wasn't going to happen. I think this game will be entertaining for a while. I think that the, the spread's about right. I think Alabama eventually separates and wins by three touchdowns. But I don't, don't doubt Steve Sarkeesian's ability to coach offense. And he's got offensive weapons with this Texas team. I think they're going to score some points, and there's going to be some big plays for Texas. But Alabama, a week ago, we didn't spend a lot of time on this game, but they beat Utah State 55-0. That may not sound like much. Utah State won the Mountain West, which is one of the best group of five leagues. They won 11 games. They beat Oregon State badly in a bowl game, and they returned most of their team. And they they beat them 55 to nothing last weekend. Um that was an impressive performance by Bama. Bama's going to roll in this game, but I, I think Texas will do some things offensively to make it fun for a little while. So the Longhorns. Fun for a little while. It's about their defense to me. Last year they gave up 31 points a game. That was good for 99th in the FBS. That's where they're measured in this game. And I think I, I think an underlying storyline of the season, I'm going to keep up with the spreads and um, the amount of complaining that we're going to hear after games of, Alabama and Georgia running up the score for one player, Jermaine Burton. Kirby Smart and Nick Saban have been preaching about the transfer portal and how it's detrimental to college football. I think Jermaine Burton left Georgia last year. The perception of the offense in Georgia was it's a defensive-led team that they weren't going to throw the football that much, and they're, they're going to win games big, but it's going to be based on great field position, and they're not going up top. I think Georgia's going to press the issue more because of that. And I think Alabama does it to continue to get the transfers 
and run up the score continuously across the SEC. Well, and I think and, and I think it's just based on Burton. Well, and I think Burton though also made the decision. I'd rather catch passes from Bryce Young than Stetson. Bennett. But what did we see against Oregon? Stetson Bennett went off. Yeah. Well, for sure. It was a different offense. Yeah. Based on what I saw from last year from Stetson Bennett, they let him loose, and I. I think they're going to continue to pile up points just based on the perception of you don't need to transfer out of here. We're going to get you NFL ready. You're going to be a top three-round pick when you graduate or if you leave early in the junior year. Well, in all but one or two games, either team's going to be able to do whatever they want, so that's how they're going to pile up points. Yeah, they're winning either way. Yeah. Right. Um, let's go uh, to our next big game of the weekend, uh, Tennessee and Pitt. 35 points, Paul, is what I asked Chad. I said, what's the – What's the minimum amount of points Tennessee can score and still win? And he said 35. And I don't think that. What did Pitt score against uh, 41. West Virginia? Oh, I thought you meant last year. Uh, they, they, went they won by 38, 31, 30, maybe? Yeah, they won by seven, yep. And there was a defense, at least one defensive score in there to and get five, to that point top total. Yeah. Five sacks in that game. The defensive line is the key here, plus the turnover margin. Tennessee, what, turned it over three times yep. last year. Pitt did not turn it over. Tennessee had a couple of fourth down chances against Pitt to get off the field, too, and yeah. gave up a couple scrambles to Kenny Pickett. Yeah. They gave up a touchdown on a third and ten play in that game also. I mean, they, the they defense had – chances on offense. Yeah, early on. They, they got a 14-0 lead after block punt. Tennessee blocked a punt for a – or set him up for a touchdown, and then that was the Joe Milton game where they missed some, some guys wide open down the field. So uh, a few keys to this game. Um, when Tennessee runs, they've got to have success. West Virginia had four run plays of 20 or more yards against uh, Pitt last last week. Didn't win the game, but just compared to what Tennessee did against Ball State, Tennessee had one run of 20 or more yards against Ball State's defense, and we saw what they looked like. I, when Tennessee runs, it can't be for one or two yards, Chad. Offensive line has got to move the line of scrimmage back a couple whenever Tennessee wants to run the football. Get pressure on Slovis. Chad's been harping on that all week, and I'm, I'm completely with him. Can Tennessee have at least one sack per quarter? They need to average that to disrupt the game. Um, and, and make them one-dimensional. Last week, we saw as many as seven offensive linemen in some packages, and they even lined up with a fullback for Pitt. Make them one-dimensional where they can't run the football, and you put it on Slovis, and he can't move as well as Pickett did a year ago. I think having Jabari Small in this game could be a big factor for Tennessee. He got injured very early in the game. They were down to just Jalen Wright running the ball, who was a true freshman at the time. So Jabari Small had 15 extra pounds on him. This is kind of the first game that he was built for this offseason coming back, and he wasn't a part of it last year. I think it is very important for Tennessee to stay ahead of the sticks and have success running the ball on first down at times. But the, the key for Tennessee's defense, well, a couple things. We've talked about the fast-break approach on offense and how you take yeah. that approach on defense. they got to find ways, whether it's just rushing four, which worked for West Virginia against Pitt to get to, get to Slovis, or blitzing, they got to get to the quarterback. And you're allowed to get a turnover or two in this game also. Flip that. Let's go 3-0 the other way. If that happens, I think Tennessee's having a great Saturday. If they, if they win the turnover battle decisively, I think that's going to mean a decisive win for Tennessee. I feel like there'd be a little bit of uh, spentness to pit uh, off, of, off of that West Virginia Well, they game. get they get a little the extra time, which helps. You know, they played on a Thursday night just like Tennessee. So both teams had that extra time 
to prepare. But Not so much tiredness, though, but um, well, here's it the, was such a big game, here's, such a big atmosphere. Here's the battle, right? Is that a good thing that they've experienced a tough opponent and a great atmosphere and a battle already and Tennessee hasn't? Or is it a bad thing, like you're saying, there's, they're spent a little bit more having experienced the atmosphere and Tennessee's fresh. This almost feels like a debut game for Tennessee. Yeah. Right in front of right. – a packed house in Pittsburgh. There's going to be a lot of Vols fans in the house also against a good opponent. Yeah, I asked Hubs about it. I, I think, you know, that this crowd can't be as charged up as that crowd was. And I, I think that hurts Pitt a little bit. Well, again, I also think there's just going to be a ton of Tennessee fans in that stadium that want to make this trip. It's the first SEC opponent that's visited Pitt at home. Well, there's, uh, I'm seeing people post from the Pirates game that it's covered in orange today. Which is a beautiful place to see With people going up a day early. If you went the up there, that's a smart move because that's know. a phenomenal place to watch I'm going to set you up for this because I want, this, I want you to speak this into existence for those that didn't hear it early in the week. The player of the game offensively for you is the number two wide receiver. Tell us why. Yeah, so Tennessee has no questions with Cedric Tillman, uh, who's on every watch list imaginable this year. But there, there are some questions about two and three. Jalen High at the slot, but Brew McCoy, to me, is due for a breakout game yeah. in yeah. this one. In his, uh, three, three catches for 42 yards. I would say due, not like he has had a bad go so far. Probably a poor choice of words. But I think this is the game where he gets featured more because I think Pat Narduzzi is going to do a lot more to bracket Cedric Tillman, and there's going to be opportunities. There are also going to be press man coverage. That's what they're going to run. Yep. There's going to be chances for him to go up and get it down the field in this game. Ball Physical. State was not going to offer that up. Tennessee was going to drive it on them, and they did just that every single time. But Pitt's going to get after them, and they're going to make them uncomfortable at the line of scrimmage or try to. Those are two big, strong guys that are tough to make uncomfortable, though. I think Brew McCoy could have a breakout day in this one. Coming up, we give you our thoughts on the SEC game of the week as Kentucky visits Florida. That's next on OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody in Nashville. A word about the Queen. I'm a big fan of the Crown. But we fought a war to get out from under these monarchs. And there's far too much reverence in America for the deceased Queen. I don't wish anyone dead. And for the new King. I, he's not my Majesty. <laughs> I, I don't want to call him Your Majesty. He's the King. That's fine. She was the longest standing monarch in history. That's fine. Quite a run. It's a historical. Seventy years. It's a historical moment, and she's a big, important historical figure. He's kind of adult, and it's going to be interesting <laughs> to see what he does. But American they're trying, reverence. They're trying to get to William. American <laughs> reverence for the monarchy of England is out of control. It's Daddy their equivalent this. of Disney World, and we've got Disney World. I so 
It's their Hollywood. Uh, as, what it is. as you guys know, we've talked about it. I'm a big fan of Today's Show. I watched. I watched that show. It's back on morning. in your house. Right? Was Savannah, back on house. Was Savannah or Hoda there? Savannah. Savannah. Okay. She, the she wasn't day, there last night. Hosting the show from there. I but bet there was a battle. Not only who that, took that flight. Keir, Savannah's like somewhere outside of Buckingham Palace. Keir Simmons, who's their British foreign correspondent, man or woman, is somewhere else. A man somewhere else in London. And then is it? I think Peter Engel. He's like their war correspondent guy. Yeah. yeah. He is in uh, Balmoral Castle where she, where, she, where she died. So they, they have a triumvirate all over the U.K. Triangulating. They're triangulating. This all thing. over the U.K. on NBC, on American television. And it's all very uh, hushed Reverend. tones yeah. uh, from Savannah. I get it. Uh, if you're British, there'd be less reverend if the right? president died. Well, but it's 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 uh, different. It's a big historical figure, and a I curiosity don't want to it because oh, no doubt. But today's show is all in on the royal family, there's and clearly, from my point of view, clearly they get ratings from it. There's I'm a curious, reason they're doing no it. No doubt, we I, love it. I'm curious about the mannerisms of which they go about this. The same way I would watch uh, uh, when Pope John Paul the the, yes, the second passed away. Like I, I'm not Catholic, but I'm watching the funeral because I'm interested in. The, the machinations. The whole, yeah, everything. Um, the show, The Crown, I'll by the way, is terrific. Too. Yes, and, that's and I'm all in on that. And it's all it's all about that. Like I love watching just the different things they have to do on a daily basis or not do. How they're greeted. The whole ceremony of everything is is very. And interesting. she, as the young queen, was a fascinating character out of that show, and I came to appreciate her and what she went through early. Twenty six years old when uh, she when she was coronated. We're, we're treating her like. Was it the 50s, I guess? Uh, you know, a spiritual she's 70 figure. years, so yeah. A spirit, she's not a spiritual figure, and she's not my majesty. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it gets a little carried away in America. I mean, you be reverential about it, right? You know, you're you're cool with it. You, you yeah. honor someone that's a historical figure, like you said, Paul, but I don't know that we need Savannah on <laughs> Today's Show crying. One big thing. Uh, getting choked up the whole One time. One big thing. God saved the queen. Is now God save the king. So when you're singing along, be very precise with your language. Maybe Game of Thrones. Maybe we see a dragon fly in and take I over. I can only hope. Send someone to the wall coming up. Um, let, let's preview the game of the weekend. Kentucky at Florida. All the hype is around the Wildcats. But over the last seven days, six days now, Florida, based on Richardson and the offense and the precise uh, – mobility of how they use their quarterback, especially in the red zone, which is a huge threat for them that I don't know if Will Levis has. Even though Levis, I think, rushed for nearly 10, maybe just under 10 touchdowns last year, this is a big game for Will Levis, the Kentucky offense, because the defense and the run game, they've met expectations now over the last handful of years, four years. They've had 10 wins over the last four years. And they win it sloppy and ugly. They win games they're not supposed to win based on their run game and their defense. The vast majority of people voted, if you had a vote, Kentucky number two in the East of the SEC. And I think the vast majority of those people who voted Kentucky would pick Florida in this game. To me, that signals that it's on Will Levis and the offensive game plan as they go against the Florida defense tomorrow. I really like Florida in this game because I don't think Will Levis is going to go and, and get it done. Um, Kentucky, Kentucky though is also. Are we going to see? They win games like this. Are we going to see the Florida team most expected? Right. You know, we're going to see that at some point this year. Right. right. Is it? Is it Saturday in this game? Barry and Brown is uh, could be the next difference maker for Kentucky's offense 
similar to a Wandell Robinson. He had a big special teams play against Miami, Ohio. He is a freshman from Pearl Cone High School here in Nashville where we do the show. Um, I, I, I just like Florida's momentum coming off that incredible game, big win over Utah, and I, I think they're too good for Kentucky in the Swamp. If Florida wins, I think a nice side story, and I know it's not the same, it's not parallel, but I think Billy Napier should have a nice, nice fight with Todd Golden. <laughs> Todd Golden? Yeah, isn't that the new, new coach of Florida? Oh, Billy Napier, yes. Billy Napier, yeah. Yeah, I want Billy Napier to fight Todd Golden the way that uh, they've been fighting at Kentucky with Coach Cal. and, and uh, Oh, oh, okay, sorry. I want a parallel You're fight. talking about the, the new basketball yeah. coach from San Francisco. I keep thinking Al Golden when you're saying that. I'm yeah, like, with the tie that's Miami. why I'm confused because I'm seeing the tie, and I'm like, Miami and Florida? What, what are we going for no, here? I want a parallel fight uh, between basketball Well, that's and never going to happen there because uh, it's a football school. no one at Florida, if you've seen attendance for their basketball games, no one's ever going to claim they're a basketball school, not even their basketball Utah coach. has a very physical defense. Kentucky does too. They've been challenged this week in the media to meet Florida's physicality for what that's worth. Florida averaged seven and a half yards per carry against Utah's defense. It starts defensively with stopping their run. Offensively, Will Levis needs to meet the same expectations that Richardson met a week ago. It's going to be a great weekend in college football. NFL as well, jam-packed show on Monday. Join us right here across the Outkick Have a Network. great weekend, everyone. 2 o'clock Central, 3 o'clock Eastern. Enjoy all the kickoffs. And hit us up on Twitter this weekend at Outkick360. I pointed early. Don't block the box. Do please lock your locks.